We learned a lot from the Champions League action in midweek. Mr Potter couldn't quite conjure up three points for Chelsea against Salzburg as the Austrians said Expelliarmus to his hopes of a debut victory. We discovered that Liverpool can still dig out a nervy win in front of a raucous crowd at Anfield and we learned that Erling Haaland is a merciless machine sent from the future to change football as we know it. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. I've worked with betting expert Mark O'Hare for long enough to know that Harry Potter and Terminator references will fly straight over his head. So we'll press on with the football instead. Uh, Mark, just a word on Graham Potter's first game as Chelsea boss. Not a win, but some interesting things tactically. And as we suggested last week, rather forcefully it has to be said, it's going to take time for this to work if it works at all. Yeah, yeah. I think the the final score um, slightly surprised me, I guess. Uh, Chelsea were very hot favourites to, to win that match. And I didn't see the game. I, I just caught up on the highlights afterwards. I've made attention elsewhere. But yeah, you're right. I think uh, in terms of the, the the setup and the approach of Potter's Chelsea, we had Sterling playing as kind of like an advanced wing-back role, which was quite a surprise. And Cucurella and, and kind of passed the back three alongside Thiago Silva and Azpilicueta with Fafana and Koulibaly on the bench. Um, can't say, you know, I'm a big fan of, of that particular setup, but uh, Graham Potter, I sort of bow to his superior tactical knowledge. And, you know, Chelsea were the superior side across the full 90 minutes, um, you know, quite significantly too, actually. They won the shot count 17-4 and, and gave up just 0.25 XG. And, you know, they managed to concede, I think, with the only shot on target that Salzburg managed at Stamford Bridge. So, yeah, a little bit unfortunate, possibly a bit of a, a bit of Brighton in there for you for Chelsea in terms of dominating a match and failing to, to pick up the, the full points. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a work in progress. Unfortunately for him and, and Chelsea now, they, they are very, very much behind the eight ball in, in that pool now. They've still got trips to San Siro and Austria to come, which are no gimmies at all. And, you know, with Milan beating Dinamo Zagreb at home as, as expected, um, they're going to be in a, a real battle now, not just to finish top, but actually finish in the top two because Salzburg have proven, you know, not just... Uh, against Chelsea midweek, but also against Milan on the opening day. But they're they're more than capable of holding their own against the, the better teams. But yeah, a few surprising tactical quirks, I think, from Potter so far, as you probably would to expect. But um, yeah, I think time will tell whether they're, they're the right decisions. Uh, personally, I was I was surprised by some of those decisions and calls. But um, yeah, we'll see. He's got a, he's had a reasonable amount of time now on the training paddock, which he probably didn't anticipate when he was first appointed. Uh, and they've also got now the weekend too to, to plan and prepare ahead of the international break. So yeah, looking forward to seeing what we get from Chelsea after the international break. Maths master, March Stinchcombe, easy for me to say, uh, you know. <laughs> Just mangle his name there. He's on the show once again. Mark Stinchcombe, there you go, uh, is on the show once again. I write this myself as well. Why do I sabotage myself by doing tongue twisters on the bloody script? There we go. Stinch, a quick word on Liverpool's win over Ajax. Firstly, great to see Thiago back out there. Gave you a warm and fuzzy feeling inside. Secondly, how badly did Liverpool need that late winner from Joel Matip? Yeah, because I think probably there's too much talk around match outcome. That comes first and foremost with news headlines, doesn't it? Rather than actual match performance. And in terms of, you know, chance creation and, and conceding of chances, Liverpool dominated the match. Um, 
it's just the fact that it took them to the 89th minute to, to score. But, you know, that's something that's been in keeping with uh, a lot of big teams scoring late goals over the years. You know, Fergie time, etc. We saw Liverpool score in the, what, 97th minute against Newcastle. Um, and you you saw Ajax as well. They were all, I don't know if they were feigning injuries, but there were players going down. Um, looked like they were trying to argue they had cramp or whatever. But kind of no yeah. surprise. Maybe they had a, I think a 19 year old at right back, and uh, Timbers are only 20 years old as well. Um, Calvin Bassey, um, he actually had quite a good game against Salah. Um, managed to kind of be uh, aggressive without giving away obvious fouls. Um, but yeah, I thought Liverpool Liverpool played quite well and back back to their old sales really. On another day that could have maybe been three nil. Um although I thought I thought was quite impressed with Ajax. You know, thirty eight year old goalkeeper in goal, but he wasn't he he wasn't uh, you know in awe of the, the Anfield atmosphere and was still happy to play those short goal kicks and that. So I think that group is set up very, very nicely because now Liverpool have back to back games against Rangers, where you'd expect probably at minimum four points and then of Obviously, Napoli and Ajax go back to back, which you know could be could be a two basketball matches. I think they could be both very very exciting games. So yeah, that that group is very nicely poised. Yeah, lots of fun, lots of history, great crowds, great players. It's what the Champions League is all about. Finally, trader and tipster Emmett O'Keefe is with us. Emmett. It's El Hawico on Saturday as Newcastle face Bournemouth. That's going to be a lot of fun, isn't it? It is. Um, I think it's. I think one of the things that just struck me was that Howe's reputation at Bournemouth, and justifiably so, was of a kind of a how could set up a team well to attack, but but Bournemouth were quite flaky defensively, regularly conceding kind of sixty plus goal tallies in the in the in the season, often getting these kind of punishment beatings from the kind of from the really top end teams. Like I often find as well, managers generally. Like for example, David Moyes being David Moyes being example. Managers you think are kind of are one way can sometimes really evolve. If you remember Moyes' team at Everton, like they were largely a kick and rush team playing kind of playing off kind of a, a knockdowns from the likes of Tim Cahill and Fellaini. Whereas at West Ham, we haven't seen it this season. But in previous seasons, their attacking output's been really really good, and they're playing kind of far more progressive football through midfield. I think how in, in that sense as well, it just we've. Seen Seen kind of it's impressive that even pre the signings of the likes of, of uh, Sven Botman, he's really kind of he's really organised Newcastle's defence and, ma- and made them kind of a tough unit to break down. And it's actually more the kind of the attacking output is is, is more of the issue than than the defence. Four of Newcastle's last five wins have came to nil, and thankfully this week they're up against the team that have by far the worst expected goals for in the league. Like um, in, in but despite scoring three goals against Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth only had had under one xG. I think this is Bournemouth are, again, despite having seven points. I think I would still make Bournemouth favourites to finish bottom this season. And even without the Newcastle might be without Bruno Guimaraes and Saint Maximan. I think Newcastle will absolutely dominate this game. It might take them a while to score, but I think this is this will be a fairly a fairly comfortable Newcastle win to nil. And just given 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 how good Newcastle defence is and how weak Bournemouth's attack. Newcastle around two to five for the match, but five to four to win to nil, which seems which seems kind of a nice bit of value to me. I think I have it pretty closer to ten to eleven. So Newcastle to win to nil for me. Now both teams locked together on points, which is a bit of a surprise, quite frankly. Aston Villa take on Southampton on Friday. 
Villa had a good result against Manchester City, but generally it doesn't seem to be working that well for Steven Gerrard right now. We wondered how Southampton would get on under Ralph Hasenhüttl over the summer. There was lots of talk that he might go. He'd become detached from his players. But Mark, it's been a really interesting change for Southampton because they've effectively given Hasenhüttl, whether it was deliberate or not, what he wanted, which was a group of very good young players that he can mould and they'll basically do what he says. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a big fan of Ralph Hasenhüttl. I think we all are actually on the yeah. show, really. And um, I'd love to see him given the opportunity, uh, potentially a, a more progressive club than Southampton, because it feels like they have stood still a little bit until this summer when they did back him in the transfer market and bring in these rough, rough gems. Um, we're seeing those rough gems kind of come to life and produce some really interesting performances so far. And I know they, the last effort was a 1-0 defeat away at Wolves and he managed one shot on target. But, you know, Shea Adams was was agonisingly close, actually, to, to scoring twice really on the day. And they were probably good enough for at least a share of the spoils at Molyneux. So um, I think they performed above pre-season expectations so far this season. Um, the recruitment's been what looks like quite smart. Um, I know it's very early to judge it, but um, I like the, the late additions of uh, Shaletta Sarr at centre-half and, and Maitland-Niles as well. Interested to see if they get given a run out now that Southampton have had time on the training paddock to to work with uh, Hasenhuttle since the, the deadline day. So, yeah, I think they're, they're dangerous operators and I think um, Aston Villa have to be on guard here because you mentioned the Man City game. I, I thought they were quite fortunate really to meet a, a City team who weren't accurate enough really in the final third in that match and coming into that game they lost four or five um yeah they, they they picked up a point and it will do you know wonders for morale for, for villa but um this is a, a dodgy game for them and you know even if you go back to the last season they've won once in 10 premier league matches now that was against everton which was pretty scratchy early on in the campaign in 17 home premier league games under Gerard's watch, they've won just five times and kept three clean sheets in that same sample as well. So I think there's more than enough ammunition to believe that Aston Villa uh, are vulnerable here uh, to Southampton. But ultimately, I think I'd much rather play a goals-based bet here based on these two teams, uh, where their strengths are at. I think Southampton are much more comfortable playing forward, thinking football. Uh, we know about their, their press and their ability to get forward and, and, and hurt teams. But Aston Villa too, uh, their individual quality in the final third is far superior to what's available to them. Defensively, we know Matty Cash is injured and out for this match, uh, as well as obviously uh, Diego Carlos too. So yeah, uh, Southampton aren't the most reliable beast away from home. Uh, they have a had of it so far this season of starting slowly as well, which is a concern. But um if you look at these two teams' records so far this season, pretty, pretty crude doing this, but uh, they've played 10 Premier League games between them. They've failed to keep a clean sheet in those 10 games. Eight of them have seen both teams scoring and seven have breached the over two and a half goals line as well. So I think goals are, are a reasonable play here and over two and a half goals is trading at 1.88 on the exchange right now, which is quite appealing really. Um, I expect both teams to score and therefore the, the over two and a half should come into to focus as well. Both teams have scored in 10 of Villa's 17 at home under Gerard, they've scored in 13 of those. I mentioned they've only kept three clean sheets in that sample. And Saints just don't keep clean sheets away from home. Two on their travels since the start of last season. And they've conceded multiple goals in 16 of those 22 away games, uh, 14 of which have seen both teams scoring. That's 64%. So uh, a very strong hit rate for BTTS and overs in Southampton games away from St. Mary's. Uh, and yeah, just little faith in Villa keeping them out, but uh, it's safe in the knowledge really that they've got enough ability in the final third to, to do some damage themselves. So yeah, expecting quite a, an exciting, entertaining Friday night game at Villa Park. Always frightens me when Mark says, oh, This is a crude way of doing it. And I think, Oh, that's usually what I base my tips on. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's always a bit of a worry. Uh, Stinch, uh, this potentially, I think Mark's right, a very exciting game. Just one on Stephen Gerrard. 
I, I kind of, it's very lazy to do this, but I kind of put him in a similar category to Frank Lampard. And the, way, the reason I do that is that Gerard did very good things with Rangers in Scotland. There's no doubt about that. He stopped that run of Celtic's titles. They had an unbeaten season. These are big, did well in Europe. These are big achievements. But he hasn't been a coach for very long. And he's in a Premier League job in a very competitive league with very ambitious owners, with a lot of good players at his disposal. Lampard didn't get Derby promoted, had a adequate spell with Chelsea, but again, hasn't been a coach for that long. And you look at those guys and think, if you weren't Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard, would you have these jobs? Is that fair or is that a bit simplistic? I think that's very fair. I think you can throw Mikel Arteta in that mould as well, to be honest. Uh, yeah, maybe for Gerard, it's it's come a little bit too fast to be at Villa and not, not a Villa side that are wanting to progress immediately. You see the amount of investment. Maybe if they, which which probably doesn't help when you see, you know, he works on a team. He, he's worked on a, I don't know, a shape or a, a team as soon as he arrives. Then he had the January window and all of a sudden Coutinho appears, Luca Digne appears. I mean, they, they might be his signings. I don't, I don't actually know. Um, but maybe it's hard just to... Get get everybody on the same on the same wavelength essentially. Then a summer transfer window, he builds his defence around Diego Carlos, and then he gets a season-ending injury. So maybe that has a mitigate bit of mitigating circumstances. But the the facts do say that for the level of investment and also I I, I would definitely have Gerard a level above Lampard because of his achievements at Rangers. Yeah. Um, not just his achievements, but the style of play. You only have to look at the odds that Rangers were going off at when Steven Gerrard left compared to when he arrived to see that the market accepted him and we know at the end of the day we're talking about betting so if you know if the market's on board that that's that's enough even if you don't like Gerrard you 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 can't disagree with the market to be honest on on a long long period so yeah I do I do think he he is underperforming um it it would be good in this day and age just to see to give him uh, a period of time in in order to try and turn things around I mean there's no way you could be backing them evens could you in this game at all like it's it's I mean you can understand where the price is coming from considering the turmoil at Southampton in terms of the amount of players that come in and out and the fact that they're very very much a, a sieve at the back but even against Everton which is they obviously only win this season they were quite fortuitous in the end despite the fact they were they had a two goal lead you know Everton did Everton without a striker basically did threaten uh, a couple of times to to draw level in the end. So there's no way you could back them. So yeah, same same bet for me in, in this match as Mark back in back in the overs. He covered uh, I think he covered everything I, I've got written down here. Other than um, last four head to head at Villa Park, I thought it was quite quirky. There's been 21 goals. So generally, this is a game that tends to tends to see goals, styles, style of play, maybe players um, embracing. You know, it's kind of the it's the Danny Ings derby, isn't it? Um, we saw James, yes, James, James Ward Prowse Ing, Ingico. Is that is that a word? I don't think we can. Yeah, El Ingico. Why not? <laughs> Ingico. No Ingico. I think will work. El Ingico. I, I think we've taken it too too far. But um, yeah, there's been a. I think Villa Villa won this four 0 last season. Uh, I remember Southampton went there and won 4-3, some, uh, a couple of James Ward-Prowse free kicks. So, yeah, generally this is a matchup that sees, that sees goals. So, I think everybody, having had the, the week off for the Premier League, I think fans are going to be well up for it. You know, it's a Friday night fixture under the lights. I think it could, could be quite an exciting one. As we speak, somebody is crocheting a lovely half-and-half half scarf with uh, Villa on one side, Southampton on the other, and Danny Ings' lovely face printed on the middle of it. 
It's worth bearing in mind, by the way, you can get one completely free £2 bet to use on bet builders on any Premier League game between the 16th and 18th of September. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, see gambleaware.org. Bad result for Tottenham in midweek as they lost 2-0 at Sporting. They face Leicester City, who are bottom of the division. Mark, Tottenham, it was a weird performance from them in midweek. It was a bit flat. Their best chances fell to Emerson Royale, which is kind of pointless. You might as well have Lloris um, latching on to the end of those. So they didn't look great in attack. And Sporting looked the more comfortable team as the game wore on. Yeah, it was it was a strange game. I felt like for the most part, um, both teams were almost playing for a point and happy in the knowledge that a point was a good result following the match day one results. But um, yeah, Sporting were the more decisive in the final third and the more decisive in possession, really. It was, it was quite insipid and flat from, from Tottenham for large parts of that game. But they did create chances. They just, as you said, fell to the wrong person or the final ball wasn't on, really. Um, so yeah, they, they need a reaction, but... You know, you're not going to meet a, a more sort of a, a accommodating opponent really this weekend than Leicester, uh, you'd, you'd assume, because the Foxes just one point on the board, uh, 16 goals conceded in six games, five successive defeats. The schedule has been relatively tough for them, but uh, the way in which they performed away at Brighton in their last game wouldn't inspire too much confidence. Um, but yeah, we keep parroting the same sort of stuff every week when we touch upon Leicester. They have the individual talent in forward areas to cause any team problems in this division. It's just defensively where, where things come a cropper. And uh, I'll focus on the positives. They've scored twice at Arsenal, twice at Brighton, should have scored twice at Chelsea when they scored just once. It means that since the start of last season, away from home in the Premier League, they've failed to score just twice, which is a fantastic record in fairness. The issue is they've kept one clean sheet away from home in those 22 games. So both teams to score has been the right wager in 19 of 22 away Leicester games, which is remarkably strong. And 68% of those games have featured three goals or more. All 22 matches have featured at least two goals. So I'm expecting a, a decent performance from Leicester going forward. I like Ianacho and Dakar up front at Brighton, having dropped Vardy. I'd be interested to see if he goes with the same setup here. But Madison and Barnes have been playing reasonably well. So they don't lack invention. They don't lack conviction in the final third. It's just defensively where there's square pegs in row holes. I know they've made a couple of signings in January late on. But even still, I think Spurs, with a point to prove really after midweek, um, haven't looked completely well to type themselves, even at home. Saints scored at Tottenham. Wolves had legitimate opportunities, full and forced, plenty of late opportunities. But ultimately, I come back to the price here, which is 15 to 8, best price in the industry, on Tottenham to win and both teams to score. I think it's a it's a very big price. It hacked up when Arsenal hosted Leicester. And Spurs have won 13 of 17 home Premier League games under Antonio Conte. To me, they've just got too much firepower for a Leicester team who, who can't deal with defence at the best of times. They beat Leicester 3-1 here last season. I think we all probably remember the reverse game when, when Spurs won 3-2 in stoppage time at the KT, KP. I'm not expecting the same sort of drama, but I am expecting goals. Um, if you want to play it safer, Spurs to win and over two and a half goals is around 2.15. Um, but yeah, I just think you're getting almost a point bigger uh, by effectively rolling out the 3-0 or 4-0 home win, uh, backing Spurs to win with three goals or more, just because Leicester's threat on the on the road is, is hard to deny, really. It's a fantastic away record in terms of scoring, but ultimately I just do not fancy them keeping out Kane, Son, Richarlison. Or Kulazewski, who is probably Spurs' best player, despite playing probably 25 minutes in midweek. Stinch, um, 
Brendan Rodgers has been talking up their new centre-back signing, Vout Fass, uh, as if he's Franco Baresi, quite frankly. Um, although any decent centre-back would help right now. And it would also get Ndidi out of that back line, because not only does he make that line worse, because he's not centre-back, he makes midfield worse, because he's not in it. So you would think that putting Vout Fass in there would make a bit of a difference. Yeah, we, we, we will have to wait and see, I suppose. There's nothing they can do if it doesn't work, is there? Transfer window's now, now shut and they didn't really have much uh, manoeuvrability in terms of spending money anyway. But, or time. Yeah, I'd, yes, I mean, I think f- for me, like Leicester, as Mike said, their strengths are all in forward areas. So, I, you, you know, you can win matches by literally just having a few attacks, grabbing the goals and then, you know, having your backs to the walls for the rest of the game. Uh, football is a low-scoring game and, you know, two, one or two goals can can make a huge impact. So, yeah, we'll just have to see how it how it goes with uh, with Leicester. I think Tottenham, I, I couldn't be back in Tottenham at 4-9. I think that's a, quite a, a vulnerable price this weekend because they're on the back of an away trip in Europe. We're talking about a cramped fixture list this season. We've already seen... The fact you look at some of the big teams, you look at the likes of Bayern dropping points in, in games when they're short price favourites. City have done it a couple of times. Liverpool have done it the most, I think three or four times now at short prices. And these are the top, top teams. You know, so Tottenham just below that, I think they're quite difficult to trust as, as uh, four to nine favourites. Given the fact Leicester aren't in Europe this season, and we talked a lot last season about Leicester, you know, we give them, you know, we give them a pass because they've got injury problems because they're in Europe. This season, they've got neither of those. They've only got a couple of players missing. So I think it's time basically, is it's make or break now for, for Rodgers. He's got, you know, they're bottom of the league, only one point. He's got, to, you know, he's got, to, he's got to sort them out here and now. But yeah, I wouldn't be, I couldn't be back in Spurs at four to nine. So the bet I was looking at was um, both teams are scoring over two and a half goals uh, in a bet builder at seventeen to twenty. You know, look at the goal line uh, over two point five is just one to two. Both teams to score is just eight to thirteen. So both two, you know, decent odds on shots. And Mark's reeled off all the the stats regarding goals. We talked about um, Danny Ward last week. Um, Badly out of form, I think is a nice way of putting it. Bottom of post-shot expected goals with, with minus 4.4 and, and around zero in this metric means you're sort of performing to expectations. So he's, he's badly underperforming. And yeah, I think there's an opportunity for this for this Leicester side with Spurs strangely conceding a lot of shots so far this season. It's conceded over 14 shots per game. And to put that into context, Liverpool conceding less than nine, Arsenal less than eight, Man City less than six. So something that Conte needs to address because I don't think you can rely on going one or two goals up, particularly against a team like Leicester, and then sitting back and trying to absorb in that pressure, even if the shots are from from bad areas. You know, you, I don't think you want to encourage uh, lots of shots. You know, the the model to to winning games is dominating possession and and not conceding chances essentially, and that's not quite what Spurs are doing at the moment. And as Mark alluded to, the, the last few matches between these teams are, between these two teams have generally been quite fun. Spurs have won them all, but they, they haven't been one sided. They've won three, one, three, two and four two. So again, yeah, I think I think this game Saturday evening should be a should be a fun watch. Now 
Football Only Better isn't just a collection of sexy voices, it's a collection of sexy faces as well. And if you want to have a look at those lovely faces, uh, you can see the entire show because it gets put up on YouTube these days. So there is an extra treat for you. Just imagine being able to look at the likes of Mark O'Hare, Mark Stinchcombe and Emmett O'Keefe. Not me, of course, I'm the kind of outlier in that group. Now let's move on to the EFL. Everybody wants to do that, of course. Uh, Mark O'Hare, you have a trip to Sixfields for us. Yeah, um, Northampton are hosting Rochdale on Saturday. They've gone back to back. You glamour puss, you. <laughs> I do love my EFL. The, the Cobblers have gone back to back in League Two with, with victories. Uh, they won in midweek away at Wimbledon 2-0, uh, two sort of defensive gaffes really kind of helping them over the line. But after sort of riding through the early storm from the Dons, they, they really did sort of assert their supremacy and were quite professional in their performance and, and picked up another win. So they're up to fifth, uh, five wins from eight to start the season. Well, well fancy pre-season to have another sort of strong push towards the top three. Um, John Brady's been pretty satisfied with their start. Gave plenty of his players praise after their, their midweek win um, went Plough Lane. So, yeah, back at six fields. Uh, I like their prospects there. They're 1.9 to overcome rock bottom Rochdale. Um, they're one of those teams that just don't tend to fare well on the data, regardless of their results. So you've got to kind of got to sort of um, move yourself away from what the stats are actually telling you, because, you know, Northampton are quite a don't gritty do that. team. The whole podcast's based on that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the further you go down the pyramid, the, the less value really sort of really sort of hard lined uh, data has because games are pretty much kind of won or lost in, in the well, final third, really. That's really interesting. What, so why is that? Just explain that to me. So the the data is less relevant the further you go down. Why, why would that be? Uh, it's, it's still relevant, but um, I think you've got to sort of bear in mind that most XG models are based off of averages, really. And obviously, the lower you go down, the, the less quality there is in, in forward areas. So teams are more likely to sort of uh, not be as prolific in, in the final third, really, unless you've got a specific model that's focused on that particular division. Um, yeah, you've got to sort of read between the lines in, in certain elements and, and kind of go back a bit more old fashioned and maybe look towards the main sort of uh, raw shot figures rather than actual XG numbers. But um, that's where Northampton really sort of have an edge, really, because their their star striker, their leading goal scorer, Sam Hoskins, is probably too good for League Two level. He's been exceptional so far this season. I think he won the Player of the Month in August. And um, he will lead the line for a Northampton team whose home record in League Two is, is very strong under Brady since relegation. 16 wins, five draws, six defeats. That's a 59% win rate. And if you implied that to towards that probability it'd be around a 1.7 shot we're getting 1.9 here on Northampton uh, and you can take it further actually if you look at their record at home and hosting bottom half teams under Brady 10 wins two draws and just the two defeats which is superb really they just tend to get the business done um pretty unflashily uh they're just one of those kind of teams who who turns up and it knows what the, what's required to get a victory they're playing a Rochdale team Turned over 1-0 midweek against the league leaders, Leighton Orient at home. They missed a stoppage time penalty. That was only one of two shots on target they had in the whole game. Their goalkeeper, Richard O'Donnell, was their, their sort of one redeeming feature from that match, so you can tell how it went. They lost a shot count 14-7. It was their sixth loss in eight. They failed to win at all this season. They failed to score in five of those eight games as well. And since relegation, they've lost 15 of 27 away days too. So, uh, yeah, it just looks a good spot to get Northampton on side at a nice price. 
Let's head to Catalonia because Barcelona are taking on Elche. Emmett, I thought Barcelona had a, a really interesting game against Bayern in midweek because they were the better team in the first half. Made lots of chances. That Lewandowski fella's rubbish. Missed all of them. He's no good. He won't make it. Um, they came very close to scoring early in the second half, but Julian Nagelsmann made some changes. That bore fruit. And then the game went against Barcelona. But... You've been very hot on them winning La Liga. To be fair to you, they've been very good in La Liga so far. Only a couple of points behind Real Madrid. And Elche are pretty limited opponents, aren't they? That's, yeah, one of the kind of betting maxims I'd have would be to try and avoid these kind of high handicaps when a team's so favoured. Because you can be in a situation where, where say, if, if you backed a minus two handicap and the kind of the team's 3-0 up and, and they're kind of make, make like a lot of subs and the underdog gets kind of a goal late and you're and the bet loses. But I'll make an exception for this one because I think there's just a massive gulf in quality between the sides. Um as you as 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 you mentioned, I've been kind of talking about Barcelona nearly every podcast this season, but I I I really think they are kind of a cut above La Liga opposition and and the and not to mind El- Elche who are who on, on the numbers have been the worst team in in La Liga. Elche have been beaten by three or more goals on, on on three occasions in in the five matches in the league of this season and the opposition who've dished out those wins are Bilbao, Villarreal and Betis as we know Barcelona are, are significantly better than all those teams after after kind of a first after a nil all draw in Barcelona's first match they've won by three or more goals in in all four of their La Liga matches since they've been a dominant team I think they'll absolutely destroy Elche here I think as well all, another factor in their favour is international break coming up I think they'll um, Barcelona play a full team and also they will be very motivated after kind of an unlucky defeat against Bayern Munich I actually saw the defeat against Bayern as a little bit of I definitely take the positives in the sense I think the back Bayern team is more of a fully formed team who've been together for together together yeah. a longer time obviously Mane's come in there but generally most of the players where I think Barcelona are an evolving team and I think Barcelona are only, only going to get better as the as the season goes on uh, I think the minus two handicaps around 1.8 in the exchange we're looking for a bigger price wouldn't put anyone off Barcelona over four and a half goals three to one even over five and a half goals is around seven to one so yeah I expect a kind of a yeah really really comfortable Barcelona win uh, viewers and listeners won't know this, but Emmett's actually got a brilliant back tattoo of Rafinha on one side and Lewandowski on the other. And they've got a lovely big Spotify sign in the middle. It's really quite something. Uh, Stinch, take us to the championship. Norwich seem to be doing well, but their fans don't seem to think they're very good. Their fans keep moaning about the way the team is playing, but they seem to be doing well. And West Brom are just not very good. Yeah, I think that's a good summary, Kev. On to the next Okay, one. let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, uh, Norwich recovered from their winless first three games. I think they were bottom or second bottoms after three games, but now now they're back in the top two after they recorded six straight, straight victories. They seem to have found their groove now. Uh, and they won the expected goals battle in all of those six matches by an aggregate score of 2.01 to 1.12. And they face a West Brom side here where they're priced up as 13 to 10. But if you use those expected goals figures I reeled off there and you convert them to odds, it would be it would make Norwich four to six. So you can see how well they're playing and just to kind of give an insight into how you can uh, marry expected goals and uh, odds together. Uh, let's talk about Steve Bruce, shall we? His win percentage yes. at West Brom is just 28.6% with just eight wins in 28 games. This season, it's one win in nine. 
Um, we remember West Brom were top two in the favourites to go back up last season after obviously coming down from the Premier League. And we know how much stronger the bottom half of the Premier League is against the top half of the Championship. And the Championship is the last couple of seasons, maybe even three seasons, is one of the weakest ever versions of the Championship. So I would argue that he's... You know, they're really, really underperforming West Brom. Um, Steve Bruce, in, in particular, his managerial record is just gradually getting worse. Uh, this win percentage I mentioned, 28.6%, is the worst in his career. Second this worst is supposed with... to be his thing, isn't it, Stinch? Promotion's his thing. That's what he does so well, historically. Yeah, historically. And yeah, he's in, like I say, one of the weakest championships ever. And he's got the worst win percentage of his career. Like, yeah, he's doing a, he's doing a bad job. Um, it's the second worst percentage win win percentage was his previous job at Newcastle with just twenty eight point nine percent. Yeah, if you compare the two jobs, you've got the Newcastle job is a job of survival, so you expect a low win percentage rate. Yeah. Yet we've got West Brom here, where he's trying to get out of the division, and he's one of the best, allegedly one of the best teams in division. And well, he might his... get out of the division, just not the way <laughs> envisaged. Yeah, I think it just makes his record at West Brom look even more horrendous. So, yeah, I've, I think I think I would have I would have Norwich closer to evens, maybe a slight odds on. So that's a nice opportunity here to bat Norwich on the Asian handicap minus a quarter, around about evens. And what, basically, what happens here if it finishes as a draw, you're going to get half your state back, and I think that's quite nice insurance. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so revered that it's a piece of pop culture that even notorious entertainment sceptic Mark O'Hare has heard of. How this works is that each of the guys come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and lovely traders like Emmett wrap them up in a boosted treble for us. Mark, I will start with you. Um, I'm going to, have we got a sort of reduced slate from the Premier League this weekend? I'm going to dip back into the EFL and, and put Northampton up as a, as a nice price for a treble. Uh, Stinch. I'm going to go for over two and a half goals at Villa Park Friday night, kick things off in style. Lovely. This is very efficient. And Emmett. Lastly, I'll tentatively go with Tottenham to beat Leicester for the kind of reasons the lads, the lads suggested. It might be Leicester might cause them trouble for a while, but we know I think Leicester that have been one of the worst teams in the league this season and Manor Bredger Rogers on the verge of getting sacked. So I think Tottenham should get, should get the job done there. I think that's the quickest podcast treble we've ever done. None of Jake Oscarthorpe's psychodrama in there. Uh, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of quality previews, of course, on our website, betting.betfair.com. Plenty of other podcasts in the Betfair family. We've got NFL Only Better. Of course, the season is up and running now. Cricket Only Better. Two racing shows. Two. Amazing. Racing Only Better. And the Weighed In podcast from Emmett, from Mark from Stinch and from me. It's goodbye for now.